Osiris. Welcome back to The Recovering Catholic. I'm your host, Katie Pruitt. Today is a special episode, not only because it's the season one finale, but because today I'm interviewing a very special human being, someone I've been lucky enough to get to know over the past several months, Leslie Jordan. You might know Leslie from Will and Grace, American Horror Story, or maybe you know him as the hysterical Instagram personality whose stories and lighthearted nature got you through a very tough year. And although all three of those descriptions might be correct, I have also found that he's so much more than just a funny personality. In today's episode, I talked to Leslie about his Southern Baptist upbringing, how dressing in drag led to a serendipitous phone conversation between his mother and Debbie Reynolds, and how exactly a gay boy from Chattanooga, Tennessee, winds up becoming an icon at 66 years old. Leslie has learned that his authenticity is his greatest strength. Whether that shines through on a television screen, jumps out on a page in his book, or is sung in the notes of his newest gospel album, Company's Coming, he is unapologetically himself. And although Leslie may have once tried to live his life quietly, he now knows how much brighter the world can be, simply because he decided to let his light shine. It's little light of mine, I'm on let it shine. It's little light of mine, I'm on let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Leslie, thanks for coming on The Recovering Catholic, my new podcast. Um, so we met because I sang on your record, Company's Coming, um, which started as you singing on Instagram every Sunday. And then a couple weeks ago, you debuted at the Opry, <laughs> which is incredible. And go what figure. A, I know. So first, I want to say congrats just Thank on you. like everything. It's so well deserved. And you're just such a wonderful person. Um, and so unexpected. I just uh, what? I'm not a singer. <laughs> but but you're one of those lovable people. It's just it works. And I wanted to before we dive into the record and kind of like the inspiration behind it, um, because I obviously have personal ties to it and like emotional ties to that record. Um, I wanted to kind of like talk about your upbringing and like go back, like let's, let's go way back in time. And um, so I read that you grew up 
in Chattanooga, and you were raised Southern Baptist. Is that correct? Yes. Um, Very devout family, but a loving, loving environment. You good. know. Yeah. So, like everything we did revolved around the church. So. Uh huh. Social everything. Yeah. And that's you know I had no complaints. Yeah. At early on until. Right. Of course. So I, yeah, I get, I get what, I get the subtleness in that. Guy thing came around. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I grew up, the whole point of this podcast, let me just say, is kind of for me to reconcile a bit of the trauma that I've experienced from the church because you know this and I know this. Growing up in the church is like, it's a wonderful community. Mm -hmm. But then obviously, yeah, there's some kind of, gray areas where some things aren't explained or talked about or and the fact that they're not talked about is kind of marginalizing so i think um i don't know and we don't nobody questions i mean they're just kind of here this is it right like here's the path you're supposed to follow and you know so i guess what i want to know is you know how did did you feel pressure to kind of like conform like as a as a child was that like something that I think it was more, not really the church. I think it was that I knew I was a sissy, you know, <laughs> and that wasn't like cool. Right. And I wasn't good at sports. And, um, you know, I have this voice that I open my mouth and 50 yards of purple chiffon just come <laughs> But I didn't know that, you know, and I was right. a big talker and a big yacker. And I think people didn't didn't know what to make of me, maybe. Mm. In the in in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, yeah, growing up, especially the men, they would they were very puzzled by me. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think they got it, but they didn't like what? <laughs> what? Yeah, I I hear that. So I do want to talk about. You told me this story at dinner, and I think it's just those little moments that kind of poke out in your childhood that kind of never leave you that it, you kind of in retrospect you're like oh yeah i was gay <laughs> um the story about the bride doll <laughs> i was probably um i think three or four and they took me to a wedding mm -hmm. and uh apparently my dad said you know he won't sit still you know he, this is going to be a disaster and it was yeah i was up i was down i was all over the place but all of a sudden mother said the bride swept down the aisle and i just froze like a pointer dog like <laughs> what have we here <laughs> and um got home and bath towels and everything you oh know, my gosh on my <laughs> yes walking up and down the aisle and um and then for christmas i asked for a bride doll mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh at first my mom said my dad said i'm not I'm not mm. getting bride doll. Mm. But Christmas Eve, mm. he apparently went out, changed his mind, found his three-year-old son, the most beautiful bride doll. And I, I don't remember any. Apparently, when I saw it, I peed in the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I peed all over the floor. <laughs> You're so excited that you peed. Wow. <laughs> I, I think that's so... There's something like so, so sweet about that. Like a dad that's like, at first, like, no, mm -mm. I'm not going to get my son this bride doll. And then... On Christmas Eve, some, he's just something comes over him and he's like, he wants he wants this bride doll. I'm going to go get my son this bride doll. Mm -hmm. That's the sweetest thing ever because it's just like a parent's unconditional love shining through. We lost him really early. My dad was killed in a plane crash. I read that. When I was about 
uh, well, I was tw 11, 66, mm. and a um, horrible time for mm. a boy to lose his dad. Yeah, and, that's so young. And people tell me, you're the little man of the house now. You got oh, your mother, yeah. identical twin sisters. You got to look after. What? No. I mean, it was yeah. just, you know, I don't even like to revisit it. I don't even like to think back on I, it. Uh, yeah, that must have been tough, especially like here, like step into this like masculine mm -hmm. role and now you're the one you're the provider of this family mm -hmm. that's so much pressure to put on mm -hmm. an 11 year old boy and nobody did it intentionally you <laughs> right know, it's just things you say well those are you right know, those are just those, those societal things you know absolutely <laughs> yeah. you're the little man of the house now you know right so. yeah um, i mean that was like similar to like you know, any any boy that I would like be best friends with. It's like, oh, you guys, are you guys dating? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's just little things people say and, and just societal boxes that people like to, you know, place you in. But OK. And then you. So when you came out, it was such a different time. And that's something that I'm fascinated with. And, you know, obviously coming out for me, even like I think it was seven years ago. I came out when I was 20. And that was hard, you know, and it was it was before gay marriage was legalized nationally. And people it was kind of but it was right at the time where people were starting to generally accept it. Mm -hmm. But back when you came out to your mom, you said you didn't even use the word gay. You just mm -hmm. said queer. And, I don't know what I said. We, yeah. And she said the sweetest thing. I thought that she would probably pull her Bible out or something. Mm -hmm. She didn't. She said, if 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 this is what you you know the path you choose, mm -hmm. well, I choose it, right? But if it's it, not a choice, then, then um, do it quietly mm. and and live your life quietly, and then because I'm so afraid you'll be ridiculed, and I couldn't bear that, and I thought, oh, that's so sweet in retrospect, because she could have said a million things, right? Yeah, I think that's. That's relatable for a lot of parents. And for me, I mean, my mom essentially said the same thing. It's like, you know, I I love you. I'm scared you won't be accepted. Mm -hmm. I think that's like a parent's biggest fear is mm -hmm. like their kid being ridiculed or their child being hurt by the world and them not being able to do anything to like stop that from happening. Right. But, you know, despite <laughs> all of that, <laughs> you are here and like, beaming and just this light in the world now oh. and at 65 are you 66 66 <laughs> it's amazing leslie like <laughs> you're just like killing it and oh. and you're doing it authentically just 100 percent as yourself which is the coolest part but um another thing i read and i know you've told this story but i would love to hear it again <laughs> um yeah I, you met carrie fisher yeah, in a meeting. In a meeting. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> we can cut that part out. She no, but she yeah. I met Carrie um, Fisher, and gosh, I can't remember the whole story. We were leaving, and um, I had told her that my mom was a little upset with me mm -hmm. because of my lifestyle here. And then she's there, and she said, "You, you're and out here is in Hollywood, West and Hollywood there is in Chattanooga. Is yeah. in Chattanooga, and you know you can act like you know run all around. I can't remember what it was about. It had something to do with I had for fun put on a something, a little outfit. Yeah, what was share or something like something that? Like I was reading that. it last night. 
something like that. Drag, essentially. A little drag, something yeah. or another. And I ended up at the National Enquirer. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it was this big picture of me. No, no, no. It wasn't The opposite shared. of living quietly. <laughs> it was a little... I remember my legs were so hairy and something I had on a little skirt. I don't know. Right. I don't even remember what it was about. Right. But, oh, it was just... She was just horrified. And... um. You know, I didn't. I, you don't want to disappoint your yeah. mom. I mean, and I felt bad, and I told Carrie about it. She said, mm-hmm. "Oh, you have no idea. You have no idea." <laughs> yeah. You know, try kicking drugs and right. blah blah blah, and the whole world is writing and tell right and um in the her, tabloids and all that and the tabloids and with her mother and um she said, "Give me your mother's number," and I said, "For what?" <laughs> she said, "I this want my great. mom to call your mom." I said, "Oh." Debbie so, Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. And the mother mother called the next day and said, what's going on? I said, what do you why Did Debbie Reynolds call you? She's, she's on my answering machine. But I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I said, no, it's not a joke. Oh, she said, what would God. Debbie Reynolds want to talk? And they talked and talked. And it was so sweet. But what, you know, she she explained a lot of things to mother that things we do in Hollywood that we're asked to do can be, cannot be a reflection on the way in which we were raised. Right. Sometimes you just, you know, right. And it doesn't mean you're, and, and you know, your mom's idea of like, you should live a quiet life, uh-huh. but that was then. Uh-huh. And, and you said something really awesome in your book and maybe it was a quote you heard, but like our parents do the best with the light they have to see with. Someone told me that. And I that's beautiful because it's like, you know, the only way they know how to guide you is how they were guided. Exactly. And things change so dramatically from from decade to decade. And the world that even the world that you lived in in West Hollywood was definitely more accepting than the time she and my grew parents up. were so young. My right. mother had me at nineteen. Wow. Oh my gosh. My dad was twenty one, I think. Twenty two. Can you imagine? Oh my God. I think, oh my I was god, a they were just little babies. Twenty one. Yeah. Oh my babies god. Babies having babies. I know. I know children having children, but yeah, but I thought that was really beautiful because I could just relate to that, you know, Um, things, things change as time goes on and and the world fortunately gets more accepting. Um, And that's a really beautiful thing, you know, but um, I'm waiting for the day. I want, I want it to be like, I think my kid's going to be gay or or something like you would say left-handed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this, I think, you know, not with necessarily big pride, not necessarily, but right. no shame. Just, it is, I think, yeah. It's just a fact. It yeah. doesn't have to be this, like, you know, big secret or uh-huh. this guarded part of yourself that you're scared to show. Yeah, and I And truly, I see parents, I see young parents, and I think, oh, gosh, look at that. You yeah. know, they're, they're doing it right. I don't know what I see, but. I think. Gen Z, which is like the generation below me, I think I'm millennial, <laughs> is like, yeah, they're doing it right. They're just like, no one even comes out anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like in Gen Z, I'm like, wow, that would have been really nice to not have to be like, do the whole sit down thing with your mom and dad and be like, I'm gay. <laughs> you know, like that's that's tough. Um, but also, you said um, that a drag queen brought you out of the closet. I was um, I was standing across from the Cross Keys Lounge in Chattanooga yeah. on the corner. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see queers. I wanted yeah. I wanted to see what they looked like. Yeah, I was probably seventeen, I guess, or so. And I drove down there, borrowed my mother's car, and drove down there and got out. And all of a sudden, 
this drag queen came and said, what are you doing? <laughs> Two of them. In Chattanooga. Uh-huh. Wow. Parading down the street in full regalia. Wow. And I was just, I, I didn't I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. They said, what are you doing? I said, nothing. They go, we know what you're doing. You're trying to get enough nerve to go in there. I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And they just armed me on either side and walked me in the door. Wow. And the it was the funniest little bar. It was real long and narrow and had benches like and you just yeah. sat there and there was nothing over there and everybody just sat in a row as far as you could see. How old so, were you? Probably that... 17, I think. Wow. Wow. And so what was it like in there? Was it just like a bar or was it like a, it wasn't like a full on drag show? No. Yeah. No, yes. Yes. It, it was. was. It was. It was a drag bar. And that is awesome. Because I thought that was what gay was. I didn't quite know. Right. Is this it? You know, this is what it, they're, they're all lip syncing and, and, and getting up and doing their acts and everything. Right. And I was just fascinated with the whole because I'm also a performer. Right. You know. Yeah. They're, yeah. The <laughs> fact that like drag and Broadway and all that kind of like goes hand in hand a lot of the time of like. It was just so attractive to me. It was just like I wanted to go every night. That must have been like like conflicting as a younger person to like you know, feel this pressure to like, okay, I have to live quietly, but then also trying to like feed that performer in you. Mm-hmm. Of like, but I want to like express myself. Um, and I think there's this Southern kind of, I don't know if it's like Southern hospitality or the Southern comfort thing. I feel it too as a Southerner of like, we can't overshare. Mm-hmm. We can't share too much mm-hmm. or we feel like guilty or we feel like we're making others uncomfortable. But in performance, like there's something very cathartic about sharing, yeah. and that's what you've done with this book, and you know that's what you've done with your with your well, the Instagram whole recovery clips. Me- the whole recovery movement is based upon that, right? One person sharing with the other, and and not giving advice, right? Just saying, you know what, I've been there. Let me tell you my story, mm. and I'm not going to say you should do this. You know, this is my story, and mm. then someone else says, and this is my story, and then you garner. Oh, I see. You're not supposed to give advice, of course. Come on. Right. <laughs> right. So the recovery kind of that time in. in your life was probably, was that like kind of one of the first times that you felt like safe, like opening up and sharing? Kind of. Um, because I was, I was no kid. I, I got sober at 47. Right. right. And so I had been through a lot. Right. And, um, and I don't, regret right you know i needed honey i needed the drugs yeah. and the alcohol i needed that to do what i did you mm. know mm. and it but it got you know it really got out of control mm-hmm. and so uh i don't remember the moment uh that i thought uh-oh something's got to give here yeah but it brought you to this place of like yeah. humility and where you had to then kind of like unpack some stuff mm-hmm. internally and that is everybody needs that Everybody needs a safe space to share. And I think that's like really beautiful. Um, I mean, this whole podcast is also about how different people access spirituality in different ways um, and how a lot of the times it doesn't happen in a physical Mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you're kind of a manifestation of that. I mean, every time you do those Sunday hymns, I mean, you know, church can Uh, exist on Instagram or or it can exist in a you know silent moment of reflection or it can exist in a recovery meeting when you are being vulnerable with people you don't 
know or have never mm. met before. And you're sharing these deep human emotions in a society where we're kind of taught don't overshare. Mm-hmm. And this is a space where people are like, thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's so beautiful. It's just like, that must've been cathartic. Have you felt like in this, in these kind of later years of your life, now that you are, you know, you're sober, you're, you're killing it at your career and sharing is like part of who you are now. I mean, it's like, that is what your whole, you know, career is kind of like based off. Is that like a cathartic feeling for you? Like, do you now? Well, there's a different, you know, you can go to rooms of recovery and you have to be very real there. Mm -hmm. I'm not there to entertain. And that's my problem Mm. is that I'll try to tell my story and I get a few laughs and all of a sudden, you know, I'm just up there tap dancing. You can't do that. I've had to, um, I've had to even make a decision. I, I can't do that. I can't share on group levels for a while because I don't know how to do that without entertaining. Mm, without the humor aspect, with yeah. like almost as I, like a fail think, to hide was behind. That, was that the truth or was that the stage version? Mm. Because I've written several um, stage shows, yeah. one, one person shows that I did. I did one of them, 40 cities. Um like as a stand-up comedian? Yeah, yeah. And, but it was scripted, you know. Mm. What was that called? <laughs> I can't remember anything. Um, I mean, that's okay. That's... My trip down the pink carpet. Mm. And um, I did that off-Broadway, you know. Yeah. So you 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 begin to think, well, I, I can't share in this recovery room because I fall. I don't know how to tell that story without the stage version. Mm. And I don't embellish. Right. But I do embellish. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to as a performer. Yeah. Like, it is a different. Bada boom. Yeah. There's timing. There's like all uh-huh. those things that are involved in entertaining. You do the pauses and wait for the laughs. But yeah, in the recovery room, that is like when you're like really there's no, you know, mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're hiding behind anything. Mm-hmm. This is really me. Mm-hmm. This is really this is here's my pain. Here's everything right out on the table. And that's like, I feel like that's a, that's a healing yeah, oh kind of gosh, feeling. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I, I relate to that as well. I think there's a stage and it's almost like a compartmentalization that has to happen as an entertainer. Like, you know, being on, st- I am, I'm Katie Pruitt, the artist when I'm on stage, mm-hmm. but when I'm not like I'm Katie Pruitt, the girlfriend, the daughter, mm-hmm. the friend, you know? Taking your career out of those other facets of your life is a very healthy thing to do. Um, and what happens is then you take it and then all of a sudden you're, you are that person to all. Yes. You know? See, right. You're not this one to when you're the daughter and this one when you're the girlfriend. All of a sudden you realize. It's that, all connected. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This is, you know. Totally. But it 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 is like a, it's kind of a mental game. I feel like all entertainers or it's you know it's like mental gymnastics you have to kind of play for a little while and and kind of get your ego out of there um you know but when you left Chattanooga Tennessee <laughs> and went to Hollywood how old were you when that happened oh gosh there were so many almost you well know. you can give me an approximate doesn't have to be exact um i was probably in my late thirties. Okay, and and were you when you no, left? No, when I was twenty-seven. <laughs> okay, 
Well, I was 27. That's how old I am now. Um, so, so you left Chattanooga and, and were you, did you feel like comfortable being an out gay man in Chattanooga or did that happen kind of once you moved to West Hollywood, met more people like yourself and kind of came into your own a little well, more? We there? all moved out together. So okay. a group of us from, from Chattanooga. So I had my gay friends, but I did notice for years when you'd go back home, you would you know, tone it down. Right. Yeah, I did that as well you, you <laughs> for Christmases. Tone it or... down a little bit here. You, know? uh -huh. you can't be flaming all around. Totally. And 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 then you begin to think, well, it, who? which is the real one, the flamboyant one or this mm. other one? And it's somewhere in between there, you right. know. Right. Well, you have different, different, um, I don't know, different moods, different times. Exactly. And yeah, yeah you're... You're still the same person inside, but you're, yeah, I get that kind of being the more reserved version of yourself when you go see the grandparents and you go yeah. see the parents for the holidays. But, um, so, and then you got into acting and did that, did you, did you feel like you could be yourself in those, in those roles a little more? Did that kind of help you discover who you were as like? Well, I went to the UTC, which is the local school, and got a degree from the drama department. Mm -hmm. And so I was acting before, you know, I got to Hollywood. But you know what I mean? I was yeah, college productions and this uh -huh. and that. Um, but I, oh, I just loved it. When I look back, yeah. I just, oh my, there was so much ahead. That's you know? awesome. And there was just so much. You know, when you're not that I've really made it, but I have made it. You, you know have. I mean? No, you have to. But, you know, to most people's standards, like, <laughs> I know, people you know, mad at me, they go, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, honey, yeah. you've made it. But still, you you um, you, you look back at that journey and there, mm. there would be this. I thought, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, and I'd go back home. I had like a guest role on The Fall Guy or some yeah. old TV show and. And people would say, are, are you? No way. Are you the guy? Yes. That's big. <laughs> but my career kind of, you know, and then nothing you yeah. know, for years. Yeah. Nothing. And now. And then <laughs> right all of a sudden, up. bam, you know, you'd get a TV series or something. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I do want to touch on um, your Southern Baptist upbringing. I want to talk about like the differences maybe between growing up Catholic, which was very reserved. Like the whole mass was like all memorized. You knew when to sit, to kneel, to, you know, bow your head, all that stuff. What What is like the, what's like the the Baptist church like? Because I've never been there's to one. No, um, there's no pageantry. You okay. know, the lights are up. Yeah. You can yeah. see it all. And yeah. there's, um, there's a, a service, you know, but not any kind of passing of things, mm. you know, just... And then the preacher does a sermon, yeah. you know, about a 20 minute sermon. And uh, I liked the Catholic because when I went for the first time, I loved all that. We pull that little thing out mm -hmm. and kneel and then you're up and then they pass the little things and yeah. drink. And, and not to mention like something aesthetically that's always been captivating for me is like the stained glass windows, oh. how they're so like intricate and like beautiful except for everybody kind of looks like sad on the stained glass <laughs> windows so it's like in a perfect world it'd be cool if there was like flowers and rainbows and butterflies on it but it's beautiful it's it's you walk in there and it's yeah 
it's it's very the way traditional. The light comes through the mm-hmm. stained glass. Yeah, yeah, and like, so there's there's definitely a lot of things about the church and growing up, you know, and like there's a section kind of near the front where you light candles for you know maybe people you've lost, and that's you can kind of kneel and have a moment to think about them, which is which is sweet, you know. Um, See, we don't have much of that in the Baptist church yeah, at all. Yeah, we don't have all that um, candle lighting, or it's just you know walk in there, sit down, lights up, fan, uh-huh. and and go. I do, I do think of the fans when I think of a uh, Southern Baptist. Yeah. <laughs> um, because that was your um, the fan was your um, your bulletin. Mm-hmm. You know, people would fold and fan. So. All those songs or some of those songs that you sing on the record, do those come from like, I'm sure a lot of them do come from like when you remember being in church with your mom and and, and singing those as a kid. But, you know, Travis Howard that I did the album with picked most of the songs because he was really involved in the music aspect. He grew up, you know, performing in church and he knew but every hymn that he would bring up, I would say, oh, my God, I know this. Yeah. I know every word to this. They hymn. never really leave you, do they? No. Like- and and uh, the wonderful part about the album was, and I don't know when this happened, and I, I, it would be too long and drawn out to go into it. I had no axe to grind. I, you know, in other words, I was not going to. I used to sing those songs when I was a kid, and, and there was some anger in me, you know. Mm. I, I don't know, but being gay, I don't know what it was. Right. But just now at 66, and I don't know what happened, no axe to grind, just sang, always sang, yeah. sang, sang. And I'd never been to a recording studio. You would know uh-huh. more about that. I was oh, look at us. I know. It feels. Recording an album. And, of course, Danny Myrick and Travis had already laid down all the instrumentals. We did that in Na- we're here, Nashville. Yeah, yeah. And, um. So it was, it was, oh, it was just wonderful. That's amazing. And I, I love that. So you kind of came back to that, those songs on the other side of things, Mm -hmm. like a little bit like, you know what, it, it, I'm not angry anymore. Mm -mm. That's so beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get to the point in my life where I stop building up walls. Mm -hmm. Um, because and it'll take learn. a while. Yeah, because you learn you're that, a baby, <laughs> <laughs> and you learn that like not everybody's out to get you. Yeah, you know, um, I think when you have encounters, maybe where people are, you start to think everyone's like that, but they're not. Um, the best advice I was ever given, someone told me um, in one of my recovery rooms, put go go to church and leave whatever doesn't ring true with you under the pew in front of you mm. just leave it there yeah somebody else don't discount it because that might be the little pearl of wisdom that someone else needs right but you know you think oh wow yeah i can use that but then oh no no i'm putting that under the pew for somebody right else. <laughs> maybe that was meant in a different context two thousand years ago and it doesn't quite fit today yeah and you know the whole like biblical literalism thing taking things Literally, when, you know, a lot of things in the Bible, you have to look at the entire story and the context of it. Um, But I I think that's amazing that you've kind of reconciled with a lot of that because, yeah, I'm, like I said, still sort of working through that. And that's part of what this podcast is, is to talk to people about their journeys with it 
and mm. and um yeah and i feel like you're you're the type of person and and just listening to the record and being part of that record kind of also helped heal a little bit of that trauma because it was like this combination of church songs that i grew up singing mm-hmm. and queer people on an album <laughs> together mm-hmm. you know not everyone is queer on the album but it's it's cool to to Your, have yours those... was the first we, we laid down i love ever. that wow this little light of mine and, and what a classic <laughs> and and you know i wasn't with you yeah i know so i, I sang my it. vocal here actually in this studio oh my god um, i heard it and i said what who is that voice they surprised me <laughs> oh that's amazing that's yeah. amazing yeah because danny reached out to me and asked if i wanted to be on it and i was like are you kidding and me what was your history with danny you had worked with him before yeah we're at the same publishing company oh. um and danny yeah we've Myers. written songs and i love mm-hmm. danny he's just like the sweetest guy but um yeah, when he called me, I didn't, you know, I didn't even know he he knew you. <laughs> I was just like, Leslie, he's making an album? Like, isn't he a comedian? You know, but I, but then when he told me, like, the reason that you're doing it and you're, you know, wanting to to bring church and and sort of like people of all walks of life mm-hmm. together and have, you know, queerness and church exist in the same space, mm-hmm. that's powerful because that is telling people in a positive way like hey these two things can coexist and it's it's not it doesn't have to be traumatic and it doesn't have to be this like you know and of course for some people it might be traumatic but hearing that record it's like oh it kind of brings like a lighter yeah. feeling to it of like well here these people singing church songs and uh-huh. you know they've maybe been hurt a little bit like maybe i can get over some of the grudges that i've built up or or whatever it is but I just think it's, it was a special moment for me to be on that record and 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 definitely like sending that song to my mom, you know. Uh, um, I think I sent it to her because you released it around like Mother's Day sort mm-hmm. of. Um, it was one of the pre-releases. Right, right. And I, I think either it was out or maybe it wasn't, but I remember sending her that song on Mother's Day. Oh, and and she was she was like I'm I'm crying and I'm you know I'm thinking about you know you as a little girl and all that it's just it's a you know it's a it's a sweet thing to revisit those songs on the other side right and and it's so cool that you said you didn't have an, an axe to grind <laughs> when you came back to them like that's that's very cool well anyway Leslie um I'm gonna get you out of here and thank let you, you so and let you catch so that far. plane back to L A but. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming down here. And um, yeah, love you. You've got a great show. Great <laughs> idea. No, you really do. Thank you. You're going you're gonna to have, it's going to be very successful. <laughs> Thank you. Well, hopefully, but hopefully people get something out of it too. Thank you. All right. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of The Recovering Catholic featuring Leslie Jordan. I hope Leslie's stories have inspired you the way they've inspired me. If you want to learn more about his incredible life, I highly recommend his book titled How Y'all Doin', Misadventures and Mischief from a Life Well-Lived. In addition, if you or someone you love is struggling with their sexuality, please visit thetrevorproject.org, a nonprofit organization that provides free resources like a support center and a free hotline. I'd be lying if I said my trauma with the church has completely dissipated. And who knows, maybe like Leslie, One day, I too, will have no axe to grind. 
But I do know that sharing our stories and being vulnerable with each other is essential to the human experience. Every time I feel loved or lifted up by another human, I can't help but wonder, maybe we don't have to die to experience heaven or meet an angel. Maybe angels are among us, right here on earth. I'll leave you with one of my favorite tracks off Leslie's new record, Company's Coming. Angel Band featuring Brandy Carlisle. Thanks for listening, everyone, and keep looking for the light. and sisters triumph has begun
The Recovering Catholic is presented by Osiris Media, hosted and produced by Katie Pruitt, edited by Justin Thomas, mixed and mastered by Guy Fell and Revoice Media. Theme music by Katie Pruitt, distributed by Concord. Artwork by Sammy Wiedeberg. This episode features original music by Leslie Jordan. Osiris.